1: get to that point where the child trusts what we're saying is real and uh, we'll offer them an escape and they'll say, yes, I want out, and then they'll finish with, but first I need to get my parents' permission. So then we have to track down where the family is and tell them that we can get their child back to school and give them a better education and find them a job.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story, Well, today we have one that is heartbreaking on one hand, as we learn about the horrible ways that young girls are being treated overseas, and on the other hand, we have a story of hope, as one man from Queensland has decided to do something about the injustices he's encountered. Tony Kerwin is the founder of Destiny Rescue, a ministry whose main focus is rescuing children out of the sex trade in Thailand and other countries. Tony has 3 daughters of his own and when he learned about the need for helping young girls in other countries he knew he had to get involved. Tony sharing the story behind Destiny Rescue with Shelley Scowen.
2: Tony, for those unfamiliar with Destiny Rescue, can you tell us a bit about what you guys actually do? Give us the overview. Probably
1: our biggest focus is rescuing children out of the sex trade. So we have guys that go into the red light districts and identify kids and get them out in their ones and twos and then we also work with the police to do raids and get people arrested and brothels shut down and also work with different police agencies around the world to get pedophiles arrested and then once we have the girls in our care we then work with them counselling and Giving them job skills and and put them through our program so they can eventually uh, reintegrate back into normal society healthy and whole. And then prior to all that we also do a lot of prevention work trying to make sure kids don't even end up in that place to to start
2: off with. But we try and
1: take it from all different
2: angles. Is it dangerous?
1: Uh, It can be dangerous. I mean we we aren't a Rambo-style organisation that goes in, guns blazing, kicking the doors down and throwing yep. the kids over our shoulders and running out the door. We try and do everything low-key, stay under the radar, so we can, we'll go in there posing as customers. So to the brothel owners, we try to appear like a normal customer. Um, to the children that we identify, we try and show them that we are the good guys and we can be trusted and what we say is going to be real.
2: For some of these kids, it isn't the the physical barrier of them having to stay within the walls of the brothel. It's the mental barrier of them feeling like they're not allowed to escape or they can't escape, and so you need to build their trust over time.
1: Yes, there's definitely both of that. Some of the children are held and they have very little freedom to come and go. Yeah. Um, and you know there's strategies to get them out, but then a lot of the kids do have freedom to come and go, and it's more of a mental change if you want to put it like that, and an obscene amount of family pressure to be sending money back to mum and dad, and uh, the, they get trapped in that cycle in the sex industry where it's a non-natural amount of money that a, a child can earn.
2: Mm. Yeah well let's delve into that for a bit I mean I guess again for us sitting here In nice cushy Australia we think What kind of parent would sell their child Into sex slavery But it's a different kind of Ball game over there where these parents Are desperate for money Even then though it must break their heart Surely
1: What we've found from the girls that we've rescued More than half of their parents Are addicted to drugs So my assumption Is If you're in that sort of cycle, you're not actually thinking like a normal mum and dad would be thinking, you're thinking about how you're going to get money for your next fix. So you you make poor decisions, or you could make poor decisions, which many of these parents have done. Most of the children are literally sold, but they are sent to the brothels to make money, and the kids send money home each month.
2: Right so then they make a fair amount of money more than they would make doing anything else. Is that right?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, depends on where they are. Like if they're in one of the big cities where uh, Westerners will go to the brothels, they, they could potentially make easily 10 times they would in a normal job. Mm. Um, but if it's in a rural-type setting, which is the bulk of the places that we go to, it is uh, marginally higher then an adult would make it work. But being kids, it's it's a fairly decent salary.
2: Yeah. So then what do the families think of you? If you go in and get these kids out, the family's livelihood is then taken away. What happens then?
1: Well, I I guess over time we've learnt the best way to do do this and um, uh, what we've found very effective is the moment the child is rescued from a brothel, we offer them an income. So the way we offset some of that is depending on the age of the child. Obviously if they're too young then they don't participate in this sort of thing but if they're 15 years or older then a portion of their aftercare will be making jewellery for example and we can pay them a a salary for making that jewellery and uh, we then sell that back in Australia or America or New Zealand and and, um, that funds funds the project and it also empowers us to be able to give these kids a salary so the parents are satisfied with funds still coming back to them each month.
2: Mm. Do you find that there are some parents that are actually unhappy that you've gone in and rescued their children?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, A lot of the kids have daily pressures from their parents calling them and saying give me the money, give me the money and um, Mm. particularly in an Asian culture it is huge to be honouring and respectful to your parents, which is a great thing until the parents use it as an evil against the child. So that pressure is always on the kids. And part of the rescue process, it's not always part, but often we'll get to that point where the child trusts what we're saying is real and uh, we'll offer them an escape and they'll say, yes, I want out, and then they'll finish with, but first I need to get my parents' permission. Yeah. Um, so then we have to track down where the, the family is And we'll go up and meet the parents And do the same again Build a trust with them And tell them that we can give, give their child back to school And give them a better education And find them a job So they can give them a, an income long term Rather than a short-lived working in the sex industry
2: Yeah. So
1: unfortunately, not every parent says yes So... Mm. Sometimes we can't rescue the child because the parents won't allow us to rescue and the children won't leave without their parents' permission and if we basically drag them out of the brothel then it's classed as kidnapping
2: yeah. so
1: we, we actually have to work within the law and um, we need to win the trust and win the parents sometimes too.
2: Yeah. It really is a complicated topic, isn't it? You know, it's not just a simple thing of going in and rescuing children. There's so many of these fringe issues that are so pivotal to it all. Uh, And then, of course, the the rescue is only really the beginning of your work. Uh, It's then, as you say, the rehabilitation and and training and all of that. Tell us about the aftercare program and uh, the great things that you are teaching them and showing them.
1: We've got an awesome team with our aftercare team. Once the girl's rescued, we bring her into one of our homes and we run a 6-12 to month program. The moment she steps into our home, we have a caseworker who's assigned to the child and basically tries to get that child to dream of what they want to actually do with their life because a lot of the times the kids will come with no dreams at all. They're just being groomed to be working in the sex trade and they've never thought beyond that. So mm. it ta- sometimes it takes a little while for them to actually dream what they want to do and then the caseworker maps out a little bit of a life plan of, of how they're going to get to achieve that dream. So they are working alongside them for that 6-12 month period just as the counsellors are. The kids are assigned a counsellor who does a lot of one-on-one, one-on-one counselling and also group therapy as well. So that uh, six to 12 months program is designed to really heal the child emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, where the issues are, work through that trauma um, with the goal of, at the end of that period, they step out as as a healed, whole young young person. And Mm. at the end of that is when we look to plug them into some sort of vocational training it's on the assumption that they'd uh, be at least 15 years or older. If they're younger than that, then we'd uh, plug them into uh, normal schooling. So assuming they're 15 or older, if we can't provide the vocational training internally, which a lot of the time we can because we run a hair training school, we run cafes and restaurants and uh, t shirt screen printing uh, business and jewellery making. So if the girls want to a profession in one of those we can train them otherwise we'll outsource that training and then once the training is complete we have job placement officers that are working alongside the child to find them a job, place them into a work environment that pays them fairly and is safe for them to work. So basically they come to us usually fairly broken and by the time they walk out of our doors for the last time they are walking into a job that they'll be able to financially sustain them for the the rest of their life. And Mm -hmm. obviously we're always there as a safety net. As issues happen, um, they can always fall back on us and our social workers are regularly keeping in contact with them outside of our full-time care, just making sure everything is fine. So it seems to be working really well.
2: Yeah, how long does that process typically take? I know that there's you know, going to be people there a lot longer and, and a lot shorter but yeah. in a t- for a typical girl, how long does that process take?
1: Uh, usually they'll be in our full-time care somewhere between 6 and 18 months um, and then it'll be another 12 to 18 months in some sort of independent living but we are still very much a part of their lives as a safety net, and, and then they sort of fade out. So um, probably two to three years um, would be the average from start to finish.
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah, so really walking the journey alongside them and, and equipping them uh, for the rest of their life. You did mention about uh, looking after, obviously, different areas of their health, physical and emotional. You mentioned spiritual as well. How much yeah. are you actually able to input into them spiritually?
1: Uh, I mean, we are definitely a Christian organisation and uh, our staff and volunteers are also Christian and uh, we encourage them to share their faith, so we definitely present God to the children um, on many occasions, but uh, obviously whether the child chooses to uh, become a Christian or doesn't
2: It's completely their uh, choice,
1: the level of care or the love or anything that we give them. Yep. But um, we definitely are a strong believer that uh, God plays a significant role in the healing process and um, all that side of thing. So we certainly encourage the girls. And um, mm. it's it's more often than not the girls see, see it as, as real. They like have experienced um, good Christian men and women you know, just loving them where they're at, regardless of uh, the trauma of have experienced and how they're living that out, mm. um, and that speaks volumes to these kids. And, and usually they they will embrace Jesus and and um, make make a commitment to Him. And I can honestly say that's when we often see the biggest healing and the change in the kids is when they um, make that decision to uh, give their little heart over
0: to them. You're listening to The Story. Today Shelley Scowan is chatting with Tony Kerwin, who's the founder of Destiny Rescue, a ministry whose main focus is rescuing children out of the sex trade in Thailand and other countries. As we've been hearing, they do incredible work to rescue young girls and help them turn their lives around. We're back with more of Shelley Scowan chatting with Tony Kerwin, the founder of Destiny Rescue, a ministry whose main focus is rescuing children out of the sex trade in Thailand and other countries. Next, we're going to learn about more of the story behind Destiny Rescue and about why Tony became involved in a ministry like this in the first place.
2: Of course the flip side of all of this is we'd like to prevent the kids actually getting caught up in all of this in the first place which i yeah. know is also another aspect of your ministry you guys have it all covered you're doing really well <laughs> um, but tell us about what what you're able to do to try and prevent these kids um, being caught up in it in the first place
1: what we do is we try and identify um, communities that had a history of um, sending their girls into the sex trade like when we've first started we we just focused on areas that were very poor and low education because we believed that was um, two key factors of of the children getting into the sex trade. But the longer we did it, we realised that there were heaps of communities that were both poor and low education and they had a zero history of the children ever going into the sex trade. So we've definitely fine-tuned our prevention program over the years and we Uh, specifically target communities that have a history of their kids going into the sex trade, Um, you know, up up in the high 80% or something like that, where historically, you know, 8 out of every 10 girls that were in that community were being sent to the sex trade. So we work with those communities, uh, get alongside the parents and um, try and identify issues that we can practically help them with, like um, if they are low income, then we might dig a fish pond and uh, supply them with with fish so they can feed themselves. We might put in running water or put in a um, bathroom, a toilet type setup. All practical help for the family with the idea of that we're building trust with that family. So when their daughters are getting around the 12 years old and. The local school in that area it only usually goes up to about that age we we start talking to the parents and say you know you could release your daughter into our care and we'll bring her into the city and we'll complete her um, schooling up to grade 12 and we'll find her a job um, and that way she'll be able to support you um, long term and because we've built that trust uh, in relationship with the family More often than not, they'll release those daughters into our care. And in those cases, we can, you know, quite constantly stand up and say, you know, every 10 girls that we've pulled out of this area, most likely eight of them were prevented from ever going in to the sex trades based on historical data from that village. Um, Um. Another thing that we do is we do uh, like awareness campaigns. So we have a team that goes around uh, different communities and will uh, have like a fun event day, so we'll have games and, uh, skits and whatever to try and get all the community to come and just fa- have fun and then, uh, they'll wa- watch the guys perform, uh, different acts, uh, role playing like what happens when a girl leaves a, a poor community and goes down into the city and how often she'll be tricked into um, working in the sex trade and then start talking about the different STDD, STDs that she can contract and how ugly that looks and um, just try and remove the, the parents not actually thinking the whole thing through and just trusting any random per- person coming to their community saying they've got a great job for their daughters down at the city. Maybe a good idea would be for the parents to actually go with them and check the place out before they leave release their daughters and just simple common sense things that we've seen the parents not do in the past to hopefully slow down their kids going into the sex trade without them even realising it was happening.
2: Tony, what was it that made you want to set this up in the first place? I mean, you're obviously an Australian, you had a, a good job here in in Queensland, and then you gave it all up to go and be literally on the front line against uh, these issues. Why? Yep. What made you so passionate about this course?
1: Uh, it really was a very simple story that I heard. It, it was um, I was told of a, an American guy that went through Bangkok there in Thailand, and he was offered children for sale for $400. US dollars. He could buy them, and he could do anything he wanted with them. And that was basically the extent of the story that I heard, and it just rocked my world. I mean, I, mm. I'd never heard of uh, people selling people, let alone men buying children to do these horrific things to. And um, I'm, I'm a dad, I've got three absolutely gorgeous daughters, and I'm sure that's played a significant role in this, this passion being in me. Um, I can just very easily imagine, um, you know, if one of my daughters were trapped in the sex trade there'd be basically nothing that I wouldn't be willing to do to get these kids out, my own daughters out. And and I know that, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of these kids, their parents have played a big role in of them being in the sex trade, so their parents aren't going to step up and get them out. They actually want them in there. So if it's not going to be someone like myself or someone like yourself um, standing up for these kids, then they're destined to live the rest of their days in this... Um, hell on earth. So that, that
2: was it for me. heard that story and, and I was in. Yeah, well you obviously had the heart and the passion for it. Then how do you go about setting up the knots and bolts of this? I mean, there probably would have been, I'm guessing, a lot of research that you had to do and getting the right team around you, um, the, the right people to get in and do all of these things. You were saying how well qualified they all are. Did God yeah. just make that all come together?
1: Um, I'd love to say it all happened overnight, um, but it's certainly been a journey. Um, The first few years laying the groundwork and building a support base and all that sort of stuff, uh, it was a very small team. um, In the early days it was just myself, but um, over time God has definitely brought some real key people along that have uh, certainly got a lot more skills in the needed areas than I do. Um, and the team's just growing I believe we've got somewhere between two and three hundred full-time staff around the world um, working in projects and um, and also working in our funding nations to raise the funds to support the project so it's been a journey we're still a long way from getting to where we need to be but um, we're we're well on the way and um, so proud of my
2: team. I think you've achieved a lot since you started up 2001. You've you've definitely achieved a lot, and we can see the exponential expansion of what you've been doing and adding on. Like you say, you know, it's not just the rescue; it's the aftercare program, it's the prevention, and and all the other surrounding roles in there as well. For Aussies that are listening at the moment, obviously with any organisation like yours, uh, donations is always one thing that we can do. We can always give through your website, destinyrescue.org. There's a number of other ways too that Aussies can get involved in Destiny Rescue. Can you uh, give us a bit of a rundown?
1: Sure. Um, You can become an advocate. So basically you become like a voice for these kids because... um, like I've told many stories about the children that have been trapped in the sex trade and we get them out and, and they tell us afterwards, afterwards that you know that they were often locked in rooms and um, raped by men and, and they'd be screaming there, crying out for help and nobody heard them, no one came to their rescue their, their rapists just continued with what they're doing and just beat them into submission so um, right now there's there's children all around the world that are screaming out for help but nobody can hear them and the way that they they are going to be heard is through our advocates being out there being a voice for these kids telling the average good mum and dad um, that you know this is really happening and and each of us can play a role in and helping that next kid be rescued and be restored. So being an advocate is definitely a, a great role. Uh, you could host a fundraiser. Um, you could come on a mission trip and actually see firsthand um, uh, the work we're doing. You can walk through the red light districts and see the yuck. Then you can come up to some of our homes and, and see the, the beautiful side of it, these kids. Uh, that have been restored or on the journey of being restored it, it's it's a, such a beautiful heartwarming inspiring um, experience and through that we've found so many people come back just pumped and want to advocate for these girls And um, so it's, it, it's so many different opportunities out there so we're, we're open to people's ideas if you've got an idea of how you can be involved then um, just Reach out to us through our website and um, just bring it on. Sounds good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned about the jewellery earlier on as well uh, that uh, that is sold here in Australia. Just last yeah. night, actually, one of my friends posted on Facebook, does anyone know someone who's a Destiny Rescue jewellery consultant? And sure enough, <laughs> quick as a flash, had the
1: <laughs> someone
2: yeah. uh, replied. And so, yeah, there's so many different ways that we can get involved in what yeah. you guys are doing without having to actually uh, necessarily leave our nice, cushy jobs and everything here in Australia, although that's definitely on the cards there too. Uh, the place to start is destinyrescue.org and you can find out more there. Thank you so much for making some time for us today to have a chat. I appreciate it.
1: No, thank you. This is a great opportunity. I, I appreciate it as well. Thank you.
2: That
0: was Shelley Scowan chatting with Tony Kerwin, the founder of Destiny Rescue. As Shelley mentioned, there are several ways you can get involved in the ministry. To learn more, their website is destinyrescue.org.au. That's destinyrescue.org. I find it amazing how one person can start an incredible chain of events that has led to thousands of young girls being rescued from horrific circumstances and then being given a hope and a future. It's fantastic. And of course, rescuing people is the most natural thing in the world for us as Christians to be involved in because we have been rescued ourselves. As the Bible says... God had rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Well, please pray for the safety of Tony Kerwin and all those involved with Destiny Rescue, as it can be very dangerous work at times. Also, thanks for joining us for Tony sharing the story behind Destiny Rescue. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: I ended up at the end of that year deciding that I would go and volunteer at an NGO in Thailand for a couple of months that was working with young men uh, who were living and working in in the red light districts in Chiang Mai. And I did that really just because I knew I needed to get some perspective and to stop focusing on my own stuff and I guess invest into young people who were facing much more difficult circumstances than I was.
0: Adrian Rouse is the founder and project manager of Ping Pongathon, which basically involves people playing ping pong for long periods of time. All this to raise money to combat human trafficking of children in Southeast Asia. How did it all get started? We'll find out as Adrian shares his unique story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.